Yeehaw, hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast, the world's best Arsenal Analytics podcast. Um, I think we have a, a pretty exciting show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking through the Fulham match, maybe talk a little bit of sporting. Then we're going to dig into something that I think is a, a bit more interesting. We're going to talk some Kieran Tierney, a little bit of team death, and then wrap things up with the title race. I am Scott Willis, and always I am joined by my co-host Adam Bogie. Adam, welcome. Hey, Scott. How's it going? I'm glad to be back after a short hiatus and yes. uh, be talking about football. Yeah, it's always good to get a distraction from you know some of the things that, that go on in our life. Um, I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying everything. How about you? Enjoying, enjoying watching the football? Oh, yeah. I mean, immersing myself fully in the football. Um, you know, I think most people who subscribe to the podcast probably know what my family and I are going through. We just had a pregnancy uh, and unexpectedly in a stillbirth and... Um, you know, it's been, it's been a really hard time for the family. So, uh, you know, it's, it's in times like that sometimes when, when some of the, the reasons why we love sports, uh, really like show themselves, um, you know, you, you get, you get to immerse yourself in something and, and, you know, kind of escape some of the stuff that might be bringing you down. And, and, uh, I said to Scott, before we started recording, I said, thank God it's been a good season. Um, so it's been fun to watch. And, you know, I think, uh, we had, Bournemouth and, 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 uh, and just what just happened this past weekend, just completely like battering Fulham. And, um, you know, right around the same time of that, we had the Everton, the big whooping at Everton or against Everton as well. So it's been, it's been a fun stretch here. Yeah, no, I know. This kind of leads into my, my first thing on my notes here is, is, is this the best performance of the season? I was kind of thinking about this, um, when I was writing my post yesterday and it's like, I really can't think of another one that I would say is absolutely better. So I don't know. I mean, I didn't prep you on this, but do you think this was the best performance of the season? Or is there anything that kind of jumps out at you that you think was better than this? Um, it's yeah, without, without thinking about it. I mean, it's definitely way up there. Um, at least I one of the that, best halves of football. I think that first half, right? The second half you know, yeah. was a little bit, you know, we, we didn't go through all the gears or everything like that, but that first half, perhaps the first half was, was just like, you know, it was, it was just like football, you know, it was just <laughs> poetry in motion um, for like, just the, so much like one touch passing so many beautiful combinations. Like I still can't get over on the second goal of the game. Uh, Saliba is just absolutely like inch perfect um, switch that he just fired off. Like from, I don't know, like barely in front of the goal off to the right, all the way over to the left uh, touchline and just it just kickstarted like the whole play um and and you know granite jacka from there took it beautifully got it to trussard uh trussard struck a great cross i mean it's just like such a great microcosm for that performance um was just the build-up to that goal um you know and, and i think when you account for like uh you know home away mm -hmm. um fulham by the tape i mean i i agreed with what you wrote before the game that the table um, does flatter to deceive Fulham a little bit. Um, they're kind of like throughout the season have been winning kind of like against the odds or picking up points against the odds or really just not losing uh, as much as they should. Um, yeah, they, they had all the bounces kind of go their way this season, right? They have the most yeah. red cards against them. They've had the most penalties called for them. They just seem to get ahead in matches more often than, you know, you'd kind of expect a team of that quality. I mean, they're still like a, a solid team. I think I have them rated yeah. as like the 13th best team, but certainly right. not like the seventh best team, like the table was saying. 
Yeah, and I mean, they, you know, like, at least mathematically, um, they are very much in the race for, like, a European spot and everything. I mean, once once Brighton and Brentford especially have caught up in terms of games played, it might look a little bit different, but they might be, like, the first club on the outside mm-hmm. of the European race. But, um, you know, when you consider just all of that, I mean, it's it's really got to be up there. Um, I, I mean, I definitely had a lot of fun watching us completely undress Nottingham Forest. Uh, yeah. That was the 5-0 game. But, I mean, you know, uh, adjusted for difficulty, that's probably not super hard. Um, I think we've played really, really well against Spurs both games. Yeah. A couple of my more favorite ones um, at Brentford was felt impressive at the time. And kind of uh, as we, you know, age a little bit with the season and Brentford really seemed to be hanging around that's another one. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely we're up there. I guess another one would be probably Brighton. Um, beating Brighton was another good result, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of like pure dominance, I mean, it's, it's hard to name too many that are, that were better. Exactly. No, I think that that sums it up nicely. And I think one of the things that really also jumped out for me is like, you can tell now that, the, the team feels like they're getting into understanding exactly what Mikel Arteta wants them to be able to do. The interchange that you see between the players where they have mm-hmm. the freedom to kind of move about the pitch, but everybody kind of understands when one player goes somewhere that, oh, that means I need to fill this other spot to make sure that you know the positional play is still solid. But it's like interchange within this very strict structure. And it just has to be a you know, a nightmare to try to defend against. And we've seen, um, you know, and we saw, I, I mean, I personally saw some, some let's, let's call it a uh, discussion about that on Twitter this morning. Um, you know, I think probably all of our listeners know, know who no new thing is um, <laughs> really talking about how Trossard has like done all his best work on the wing. Um, and I, that kind of ruffled feathers because I think that a lot of people, and I would include myself in this really feel like the system is, is built on exactly what you're saying. Uh, part of the reason why Trossard works is because he can he can be central one play and then he can be wide on the next play and that really creates um, some unpredictability. I think that's harder to track for defenders and it's also it also seems to like light a bit of a spark under Martinelli. But yeah. even even on the um, even Granite Jacka, I mean he he's allowed more ability to kind of vary his positioning. He can be more like on the edge of the box uh, on you know as the, not quite all the way out to the touchline, but he can get a little wider. And, you know, people think that we don't do that very much on the right. But, um, I mean, if you go back, uh, which game was it? It was one of the last couple of games I remember pointing it out because I saw it on the replay um, on a Bukayo Saka goal. Uh, Martinelli pulled the left uh, the left back off of Saka because he was all the way out on the right touchline. Um, yeah, so was we, that the, the one um, uh, where... Zinchenko is also there, right? He feeds him into, yeah. and yeah, then yeah, Saka plays the the first time, yeah, touch. But yeah, but that again, like, you, and then you look at, you know, we still have five people on the line, and I think there's Jaka on the far left holding the width and making sure that you know we still have the positional discipline, but it's you know the freedom within that has been really interesting to see. And having and just having this is part of why I think uh, people like me have have a hard time. Uh, ever really seeing eye to eye with the folks who are like, oh, Arsenal need, you know, like a 6'3 muscular <laughs> Mitrovic type, Vlaovic type, who's like, you know, camp me out in that like nice little 10 yards wide space right in front of the keeper. Um, and I'm going to hammer everything home that you send in. Um, I mean, 
to a lesser extent, right, because he's not the physical presence, that's kind of the criticism of Eddie and Kedia. And I think a couple of his brighter moments um, in his stint throughout January and into early February did come when he varied his position a little bit. I remember him creating a chance after he uh, popped out wide to the left, dribbled past a man and, and played a nice cross in. So, I mean, that's that's what Gabriel Jesus brings. That's what Leandro Trissard brings. And, um, you know, it seems to just, there seems to be a really rare collection of football intelligence mm-hmm. among the the five to six guys. Add Zinchenko up there. I mean, another incredibly intelligent player. They just seem to know um, and be really well drilled in kind of, I mean, what people, what people are describing as the JDP, the positional play. Um, when, when my teammate moves inside, I need to pop out or I, you know, they just seem to recognize that and play really well with each other in that way. And the, I think the left side is, I mean, it just seems to do so much better when they've got either Jesus or Trossard, um, who can do that. Yeah. And I think that you can see some of the things that have kind of happened here, bringing in, um, you know, Trissard has, I think, brought back some of the good, especially Martinelli, but I think some of the good stuff that we saw early in the season from Jacka. Um, I think, you know, wrote him down on my my list here. I think he was probably, or this was probably one of the better performances that I've seen from him in a yeah. while. It seemed like he kind of turned things back. And uh, when I was going through the stats yesterday, I was a little bit surprised to see that he only had nine final third touches by my count because mm-hmm. I, it feels like I, I wrote down several times or oh jacka does something dangerous or jacka does this he almost has what is like one of like the goals of the season where he, you know he has that that dummy stepping over it continues his run and then mm-hmm. just has his touch like bring him down but it's like it felt like he was back to being able to ride quite the impact and I, I mean apparently a very efficient use of his time so what are your thoughts on on jacka in this match yeah, I think I, I'm 100% there with you. I've tweeted, or I, I tweeted during the game that um, for me, the last two times out, this one in sporting, I thought we were seeing good Granite Jacka again. Um, really, he was never, uh, he was never getting caught, you know, making bad decisions off the ball, taking up poor positions. He just, it seemed like his touch and his instincts were just letting him down a little bit too mm-hmm. much. Um, you know, I mean, case in point that breakaway where everybody's like he could have passed it this way and he ends up you know I think taking an extra touch and shooting um but this you know yesterday I really felt like Granite Jacka was back to um as soon as that ball comes to me I already know what I'm doing with it and I do it right away um kind of that like scan before the play and make the play happen so quickly and I feel like that's when we really get the best version of him when he doesn't take that time so maybe it was just him needing you know, a little bit of a break to kind of recalibrate. Um, yeah, right. Because it's seen, like he's always available. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's always available. But you know, maybe he did need something to get him, you know, kind of back. And you know, maybe it is also good too, right? We're we're seeing some competition. Maybe he's hearing some footsteps from uh, Fabio Vieira coming through him. So maybe that's you know helping to you know motivate him a little bit more. But not that I really think that he needs it that much. He seems to be a guy that finds motivation within. But you know, there's always those extra little kind of things that can kind of bring him out to be able to do that. Um, next guy on my list that I think is uh, willing to get or needing to get some discussion is, is William Saliba. I know we've already talked about mm-hmm. him a little bit with his his pass that he made, but I thought this was, again, just him back to being what we saw earlier in the season. Um, I thought that he really made like Alexander Mitrovic have like a very quiet match. There really wasn't too much actual danger from him. And I think that's something that's especially impressive from him. 
Yeah, I mean, Saliba, um, really, he had a great week. Um, he was he was great at, at sporting as well. Um, he scored the, the headed goal in that one. Um, and I think, you know, I, another thing that I, that I read, uh, somebody pointed it out on Twitter is he, he was spending the entirety of the match, um, really engaged in such a physical battle with Mitrovic. And then, and then late on, uh, it was Dan James, uh, yeah. down the wing and he, he just runs him down and makes that, that just beautiful tackle on him it reminded me a lot of what he did to Mbappe last season, where he's just, just like positions everything perfectly, gets the ball. Um, he's just, yeah, he's he's really once he gets in his bag, he's just he just seems to really, really just play with such confidence, and um, you know he he doesn't seem to ever get too panicked. Mm-hmm. It's more like when he's when he's doing badly, it's like he's he's too casual sometimes um maybe you know maybe more more urgency but um i think you know he just really strikes me as somebody uh, i know i know we're not that far removed from him really not doing well against ivan tony but he seems somebody who can really get himself up for the games where um he is going to be pushed to his mm-hmm. limit um and and that's exciting i mean because i don't think arsenal have had a center back like that for a while um because Gabriel has been basically coming into his own over the last, you know, calendar year anyway. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, uh, Gabriel over the last 18 months has really, really blossomed. Um, you know, his his passing numbers has been what thing I think has really popped up for me. Because I remember there was, at the end of last year, there was, you know, that that video clip that's going on. Maybe I'll, I, I wrote about it after the video clip came through, but it's like, oh, they're, you know, going through his bad passing and those kinds of things. But I think mm-hmm. that's something that is less of an issue. I think that teams, you know, were pre we're previously focusing on making him beat us in the buildup. And I don't think that teams are doing that nearly as much because I think he's shown that he has the ability to do it. Um, and it's actually interesting. You, you look at kind of like the overall passing diagrams and, you know, Gabrielle is actually tends to be a little bit more forward than what Saliba is. Saliba, you know, is a very much, he likes to, to drive the ball forward with his feet and then kind of play a little sideways pass um, using that to kind of draw defenders onto him and then, you know, create space mm-hmm. for his next one. While Gabrielle um, is a much more of a progressive overall passer in the sense that he likes to go forward with his passing rather than necessarily with the ball at his feet. Um, and yeah, I think this was definitely a game where, where both of the, where both of them, I think were, were really doing it. This was a game that I thought that just the technical quality of the team really shone through. Um, yes. just the, the one touch quickness. Um, I think we are a little bit surprised perhaps by how aggressive the press was early in the season or early in the match. And it took us a few minutes to kind of work our way into the game, but mm-hmm. rather than us going deep to beat the press, this was a match where we just beat it by quick quick passing and I thought that was something that just brought out the best in so many of our players yeah I I remember um seeing I you know just especially after we win just doing such a deep dive into like all the content out there and just um I think a lot of people were surprised by how Silva Marco Silva the full manager was really um trying to do uh trying to like force everything uh, or trying to spread spread Arsenal out, and and um, a lot of the a lot of the best actions were coming um, just kind of right down the right down the throat, really. Um, <clears throat> and that's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I just I I like I, I lose words because it's <laughs> it's it's just so. How do you describe uh, the the dynamic where a player receives and 
gets rid of the ball in the same motion and it's, it's successful. Um, there were just so many chances, even a couple that didn't really result in any goals uh, where the ball just was there before the defender could react to it. And I think that's, that's when we, when we start talking about the offense or the, the attack stagnating, um, that tends to be a lot of what it is, is, you know, too deliberate, taking too long to get from one end of the pitch to the other. Um, but you know, Thomas party was definitely huge for that, uh, against Fulham. I think he had, um, like a lot of touches, 75 or so only resulted in the ball going back to Fulham like five times all game, which is a crazy efficient ratio. Uh, four out of four dribbling, like one, eight out of his 11 duels. I think a lot of that came down to him, but you know, certainly Odegaard, I mean, was, was really pulling, pulling the strings on the ball at some different times. Uh, and just, you know, that kind of thing is just really fun to watch. That's when you get the commentators saying Arsenal are the, are the fun team to watch in the league this season. Yeah, no. And I think there was several moments where like, there was little pieces of skill that just like made me like, you know, write down my notes. Oh, or the, yeah. you know, kind of just like audibly gasp. Like, you know, I think there was a, a Thomas party, like a little turn thing that he did. Yeah. There was Martin Odegaard just, you know, nutmegging to be able to get past, to, to, you know, to go on the break. And then there's uh, Gabriel Jesus, like with practically his very first touch doing this like weird, like flick spin move thing to mm-hmm. almost set himself up for a goal. Yeah. That just missed off. So um, Gabriel Jesus, he's back. You excited back. for that? Oh yeah. I mean, how could you not be right? And it, it's, I think the, the people who were more worried about him were worried about him having his burst when he did return. Um, and he, uh, I mean, watching that game looked like the same guy that we saw in November before he left to go to Qatar with the Brazilian national team. Um, it was, it was just awesome. If that's the explosiveness and, and the, the confidence with the touch that, that he brings from, you know, the first game back, I mean, how could you not be excited? Um, you know, he's that to me, that just says as long as his body's responding positively to, to getting out and playing full speed again, I mean that he maybe even as soon as crystal palace next weekend could be starting and playing, you know, a, a pretty solid number of minutes, like an hour or something. Yeah. Um, I think that leads into a very interesting question of, you know, now that the team is getting healthy, like, I don't know, you looked at the bench in this match and it felt like we have like our full team back again. Um, yeah. I don't think there's really any notable injuries right now. I mean, um, Eddie and Keddie is still out. Um, and then I guess, you know, there's Mohamed Elneny that's out. But other than that, it feels like Eddie and Keddie is probably not too far gone from being able to be back in the team. Um, it feels like mm-hmm. there's going to be some selection headaches coming up here pretty soon. Right. Yeah, I know it's a, it's like a, it's like getting an ice cream headache or something. It's a great <laughs> headache to have. Um, yeah, I mean, I going back to so many different points in the season, um, you feel like everybody who is a potential difference maker or p- potential, you know, actual like impact on the game type of guy off the bench has been getting in, uh, and we're leaving, we're leaving like Rob Holding on the bench unless it's you know up up a goal at the last five minutes or something, um, but. Interestingly, you know, just looking at the guys we left out, uh, Jorginho didn't play, uh, mm-hmm. Will Smith Rowe didn't play, and I think those those in a lot of ways are two of some of our, uh, the fans' more favorite substitutions. So uh, it is it is really exciting. Like it's, I mean, there's every chance that um, Arsenal go to the Emirates on Thursday to play Sporting, and they've got you know two or three of like Jesus, Saka, Odegaard on the bench, and actually have good players on the pitch instead. You know, in this case, you'd see Trossard. You could see Reese Nelson, who I think has just also had a great week. Um, Emil Smith Rowe. So 
yeah, I mean, this is, this is, I think the depth that they inten- intended to have uh, for most of the season. And we just haven't had it because of, you know, these weird striker injuries that kept yeah. happening, but yeah. Right. Like we went from um, potentially having like no strikers at all to now, like we have an abundance of them. Um, do you read into ESR not getting any game time? Like, are you making any like assumptions? Like what happened there? Like, why didn't he get on the pitch? Is that, you know, well, setting off any alarm bells for you right now? Or is it? Well, no. um, you know, I, I had picked him out personally as somebody I would have started last week in, in Portugal, mm-hmm. but I also wasn't completely shocked at the direction that, that they went with the lineup for that game because, you know, it's the first leg, uh, of a you know um, two-legged tie it's away from home against a pretty strong side so Martinelli Saka get in um, you know you don't want to go full strength so that's where you go with like Reese and, but it is a little bit surprising that that we're talking about Reese Nelson and not Emil Smith Rowe but you know that was fresh fresh off the Bournemouth winner yeah. I mean you reward the guy with a start um, you know I think I think at this point I mean the question about Re- uh, about Sorry, Emil Smith Rowe is just what is his I mean, what does Mikel Arteta want him to be, right? Because he um I think almost no matter what the answer is at this point, uh he's blocked. Um he is blocked by Reese Nelson potentially as the backup left wing and Leo Trossard. He's blocked by Trossard and Eddie and Kedia and Jesus now. If he ever wants to be a nine, he's blocked by Odegaard and Vieira on the right side and he's blocked by Jacka and Vieira on the left side. I think those guys all get in ahead of him at this point. Um, you know, I know he had an assist uh, off the bench recently, but I don't know that he's really come in since getting back to full strength and, and done anything like, for example, Reese Nelson has, uh, yeah. you look at his, his last two sub cameos, uh, Bournemouth and Fulham and both times he looked so bright, um, just really taking on guys, making plays, um, you know, obviously get the huge game winner. So I think that Arteta is just a guy who uh, is going to reward top performers with the priority minutes. And, and Reese has been better um, yeah. since the, since the restart. And there's just, you know, since they both been healthy again. So, I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily like, I'm not throwing dirt on Emil Smith Rowe. I, you know, I remember a little over a year ago, I was, we were like, when's Martinelli going to play? And then Martinelli ends up being a starter. <laughs> Uh, for the rest of the season and into this season. And, you know, he's almost a 200K guy a week now. Uh, so we'll see. But it's it's definitely something to watch. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm starting to... Yeah, I mean, I think the manager tells you something with the people that he's picking. Um, and I think it is good to pick players based on, you know, kind of the form and how they're doing and how they're performing, right? Like, that's how, mm-hmm. you know, you can't just pick on, you know, reputation always all the time um otherwise you know that's that's not the the greatest thing for the squad harmony do you think he gets a pick on thursday as we switch gears to kind of look a little bit towards sporting well i think i think that that's a good question um because you know that the europa league is so interesting to talk to people about online because i think that there are so many people who at this point would rather just be like you know what throw off the fully rotated side. If we win, we win. If we lose, who cares? We want to win the league, right? Um, it's basically a foregone conclusion at this point that Arsenal are getting in the Champions League, so they don't need the Europa League for that. However, I do think that as the manager of a club the size of Arsenal, even if you're in the Europa League, it's still your job to go and try and win it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what Arteta is going to do. I think he's going to try to send out the weakest side that he is confident that could that could beat Sporting. Um, 
I do think that there there are iterations of of uh, you know elevens that include Smith Rowe that could do that. Um, my question is just going to be who is he going to want to start on the right side? Because if, if he doesn't want to use Bukayo Saka on Thursday, which would make a ton of sense, that probably does become Reese. At which point um, you either look at Trossard Martinelli as the other two, or one of those two guys at striker and maybe Smith Rowe on the left. Um, I could see it going any of those directions. However, I think like if, if I were to pick a, a backup attacker, so to speak, most likely to start, I probably would go with Reese Nelson just because he's been so impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really been good on the left specifically. So, um, you know, I think it, it's just kind of gut check time for Smith Rowe because uh, Vieira feels like a for sure start in the midfield, probably Jorginho. Um, outside of that, maybe we get to see Kivior again. I, I hope we do because... Yeah, I think it'll I be thought- Kivior and Saliba at the back again. I would not be surprised by that. I could even see potentially Rob Holding getting in. Um, you know, I'd love to see Tomiyasu, uh, hopefully Kieran Tierney's better. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to really figure out who to play and where, because I mean, a, a Vieira ESR midfield with Jorginho, that feels a little light, very physically weak. Yeah. Um, so I would be surprised by that. I would think with Jorginho and Vieira, I would think it'd be Xhaka again, but um, you know, I guess we're, we're just going to have to see. I, I don't think that there are a lot of ways to get this one wrong. Um, I thought Arsenal were better. The better side against Sporting is just mistakes. Yeah, yeah really did Sporting surprise you at all? Or I know you uh, you wrote up a nice preview for them. So I don't know. Did, did Sporting change what you'd seen previously about them with how they came up against Arsenal? No, uh, no, not especially. I felt like, you know, uh, Gonsalves was really... Uh, key, you know, the, the first, the first big chance of the game, he beats Jorginho on a long ball, just has, has more pace than him. Uh, Marcus Edwards was another guy that I had called out as somebody that needed to watch that we needed to watch. And I, I felt like he really used his quickness and his pace to unsettle the back a couple of times. Um, it really just, I mean, to me, it just came down to a couple of sloppy defensive mistakes that really let them in, um, you know, but you still take the two-two draw, and I, you know, Kivior aside from uh, a mistake here or there, I mean, on the ball, I thought he looked good, and and it was mm-hmm. an encouraging debut. Um, Turner, you know, uh, whether he should have had that or or Kivior should have had that one in the air, uh, that's anybody's guess. But they need to communicate that better. But it was also their first game together, so uh, you know, who who really knows what the story is on that one? Probably Turner's ball to come and claim, but. Um, no, yeah, sporting, I think he needs sporting. to claim a punch that, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if, if not, I think, yeah, Kivior, like, because the way he reacts, like, he just totally <laughs> abandons that. And I don't think that um, from watching him that that is typical of how he plays. He doesn't seem to have no. a, a super timid um, in the air kind of thing. Um, so I, I think there was some sort of a, a miscommunication that happened on that one. That, yeah, I would I would think so. Um, so, I mean, did they surprise me? I would say... I would say I wasn't super surprised by them being competitive. And, um, you know, I, I had written for the blog that, that they would, that they play an intense style off the ball. I felt like that was there. I felt like there was a lot of urgency in their game. I just feel like, uh, sometimes Arsenal play a little bit down to the competition and, um, making those sloppy mental mistakes just kind of proves it, but they might've also had the second leg on their mind. I think that, you know, you'd be surprised if, if it wasn't, a you know, one, I mean, I, I'm being conservative, but like a two goal, a two goal type of win, right? Uh, yeah. 
particularly after what they just did to Fulham. I think that you're riding a lot of confidence. You get some guys who've been ill back. Um, it should be better. Uh, sporting were my, I think my second or third preferred choice out of the seven that we could have drawn for this round. And there's a reason because they're supposed to be one of the big three in Portugal, but they've had a down season. They're in fourth. Um, yeah. They've struggled and, and now uh, second leg, they're going to be missing their captain, Sebastian Cuates, and they're like central center back. They don't really have a great replacement for him, in my opinion. And they're also going to be missing Morita, one of their midfielders. So they'll get Manuel Lugarte back, who's like their defender, defender style midfielder. But, um, you know, I, they're still going to be missing important guys. So it's advantage Arsenal, in my opinion. Yeah, so I, I looked up before here. So the the betting odds have Arsenal eighty five percent to advance. Uh, five thirty eight has Arsenal seventy five percent to advance. I, I feel like those are in the correct ballpark. Um, if you yeah, yeah, you don't really deserve to advance if you cannot uh, win a match at your home stadium, right? I think so. The no, it's all set up there for Arsenal to do it. Yeah, I mean away goals unfortunately are not a thing uh, yeah. <laughs> anymore. So. You know, if we if we go into extra time and stuff, that would be annoying. But you would you would expect uh, after being able to go to Craven Cottage and and be so dominant and precise with the ball. Uh, this is our pitch. This is what we're used to. Um, no travel. You know, this is this is uh, elements that favor Arsenal for sure. So, All right. um, are there going to be more than six changes that we saw last time in the in the, the starting eleven? Hold on, let me pull up. Let me pull up the Fulham eleven because I think I think that it's going to be right around there again. I think Trossard will start again. I do. I I've got a gut feeling that Martinelli will start again. Uh, I'll say Jacka will start again. So that's three. Saliba will make four. Um, I think that there. I think I'll predict seven changes for this lineup. Uh, I think that I don't think that Saka will start. I don't think that Odegaard will start or Party. So that gives us three. I don't think that Zinchenko or White will start or Gabriel, so that'll be six, and then uh, Maddie Turner. So that that's my expectation. Yeah, I think that sounds right. I think it'll be somewhere in that six to seven range as well, um, where I think yeah we'll we'll see a, a fairly rotated squad. Um, I think mm-hmm. we'll have a, a significantly stronger bench, right? I think we're basically going to bring every you know it's at, that's at the Emirates, so it's not like anybody's traveling. But I think yeah we'll we'll see a, a very strong bench. So if we do get into trouble we should have the guys to be able to, to come on and be able to change yeah. in, right? And you have the extra long benches for the Europa League as well. Yeah, I think you can have 12. So uh, it's it's a very deep bench that we can have at this point. And I mean, if, if what I just said was true, we would be talking about, you know, Party, uh, Odegaard, Saka, Gabriel Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a lot of Zinchenko, Ben White, a lot of firepower off the bench. So, um, sporting do not have that luxury to have a lot of firepower off the bench. <laughs> they, uh, if, if you watch the game, I think, uh, out of the four or five subs they made, I think three of them were teenagers. So, um, it's going to be a lot like that again, most likely. Uh, whereas Arsenal can bring more, probably, probably better players off the bench late. So it just, it just like, I think I can say unequivocally that just from a pure, uh, sporting, no pun intended perspective, uh, Arsenal would have to be disappointed to come out um, without the advancement on Thursday. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's a good spot to, to leave it. And we'll move into do a, a little housekeeping. Um, so this show is supported by our much, much appreciated premium subscribers, where for just $5 a month, that's a 
you know, just like go get a coffee at Starbucks. It's basically what it is. Um, you get an at least five additional articles per month. So if you're you're not a premium subscriber and you are interested, I think we have a, a very good value for what you're able to be able to get. Um, and you uh, would be able to support us to be able to do fun things like, you know, this podcast. So um, I think that'll be good for there. Um, now let's go into what I think will be an interesting discussion. So I've, I've labeled this one in my notes, Kieran Tierney and Depth. Because I've got a couple mm-hmm. questions here that I think we want to kind of go together. Um, the first is around your article that you wrote last week. Is this the time right. to sell Kieran Tierney? So, Adam, make the case that it's the time. Well, I think that I think that whether it's the time. So, um, in my book, uh, when you've got a side that is is depth or sorry is deep and has players like Tierney who are capable starters um, who have been, I mean. You know, I'm sorry, but he he has been replaced by a better option. Yes. Um, he, you get to a point where it's like, okay, do you do you hang on to this player because if the better player goes down, um, you still need a good player off the bench, or do you do the thing that maybe is a little bit more like the right thing by Tierney and send him somewhere where he can play? Um. So for me, I think that the rumored the rumored deal. Uh, that could happen to Newcastle for more than 30 million pounds. Um, if you remember, Tierney was a 25 million pound signing yep. um, four or five, four years ago. I lose, I lose track of years, but uh, so basically just that Arsenal would, would not want to take a loss on him uh, from a, from a pure transfer fee standpoint. Um, and it's a little bit divisive, really. Uh, some people are saying, you know, it's Newcastle. They've got oil money. You absolutely say, you know, you need to pay a lot more than that. You're a rival. Don't strengthen rivals. Um, you know, he should be getting uh Cucurella sold for 60. He should be close to that. Um, and, and for me, I guess really the answer to that is if, if Newcastle come in on a 35 million, let's just say 35 million pounds um, offer, I think that Arsenal should take that. Yeah. I think that um, any discussion about Kieran Tierney and his value should not overlook the fact that he is not, a player who gets selected in Arsenal's best 11. Uh, Arsenal are having their best season since the Invincibles um, with him playing minimal minutes. I mean, minimal, minimal minutes. Even when Zinchenko was injured, he was not the uh, preferred option at left back for half, a little over half of those games. Um, he Zinchenko, the man who replaced him, signed for less than what uh, Kieran Tierney would be offering, although at a higher salary. Um, and, uh, we would be making money on the deal overall, not to mention getting, I think it's three seasons of 110,000 pounds per week off the books. So all of that considered, plus, uh, the player's own want to, if the player does want the move, I think Arsenal have shown, uh, in recent years, guys like Leno, uh, Hector Bellerin, um, just that, you know, we appreciate what you've done for the club and we will be reasonable um, in deals to get you out the door. Uh, Joe Willick would be another good one. Alex Awobi. I mean, this was not Arsenal holding out for like a King's ransom. This was, we got a good offer. We think you'd be better off. We're going to sell you. And I think that, I think you'd fall right into that. Um, for, th- I don't think that it would be impossible to replace that depth. I really don't. Um, he's, you know, Tomiyasu is already here and uh, Arsenal, you know, rumored with guys like Ivan Fresneda. Um, I, I think that you could get a, another good player in, uh, somewhere between Nuno Tavares and Kieran Tierney for less and use that money maybe to bring in, I don't know, Declan Rice, 
uh, somebody like that. Yeah, I think that you, you think about the the different trade offs that Arsenal will be able to make. Um, like, do you want to have a good backup at left back, or would you rather have that depth go into say? you know, central midfield to be able to, mm-hmm. to give us there. Um, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate, like, well, like, should they be ruthless and just like force him to stay an extra year? Um, that, that probably hurts the overall value that we might get for him next year. But, yeah. you know, would it make sense for us to be ruthless and do that and say, no, we're going to keep you one more year and then you can have your exit? I think I think that there is uh there's kind of like a golden mean to this discussion where they don't have to take the first thing that comes along but they also don't have to be ruthless. Um I think that you can you can fall somewhere in the middle. Uh you can still get a a fine deal with 2 years left on his contract. Um if if hypothetically they put him in the shop window this summer and nobody, you know, let's just say that they're only getting like 15, 20 million pound offers. Um, that's fine. Arsenal do not need to sell him. They do not, they should not feel compelled to sell him unless, unless he goes against character and, and kind of pulls like the diva act and says, get me the F out of here, <laughs> um, which would be, which would be, you know, unexpected. I'd be surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. I mean, we know enough about him to know that he seems to have genuine affection for the club and a number of guys aff- affiliated with the club. So um, it would be surprising. I think. I think this is one of the cases where Arsenal actually do have a pretty high amount of leverage um, in terms of a potential sale. And you know, Newcastle um, could potentially sign a number of good left backs. Uh, Kieran Tierney, Kier- Kieran Tierney would be a, a very good fit for them, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think unless you're wanting to get into like the Ben Chilwell uh, territory, you'd probably have a hard time finding a similar quality player for sale at a similar price in the premier league. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's just, you can see that with the way that Arsenal want to play now that it just doesn't seem like that fits Kieran Tierney anymore. Regardless. Um, I thought I was really impressed seeing what Tommy Asu did the other day coming in playing left back. Um, he seems yeah. like a much more natural, almost like for like change with Zinchenko. I mean, he right. obviously doesn't have the same, you know, level of passing, but just the comfort on being in midfield versus what Kieran Tierney is like. Kieran Tierney is in the right places and doing those things, but he just doesn't look comfortable doing that at Arsenal right now. So maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, this would be better for both him and the club to be able to kind of move on. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be a slight against Kieran Tierney. I think he, he's still, you know, he's still a talented player. He still brings value. Um, You know, he's a good one-on-one defender. He's, he's good at overlapping. Uh, He can pick out cross as well. Um, Obviously a great leader, a very good engine on him. Um, But, you know, just not every player fits every system. And that's, that's just a reality of every sport. Uh, you, you know, we, if you wanted a target man, you wouldn't sign Gabriel Jesus. It doesn't mean that he's not a good striker, though. Uh, so it's just, you know, at some point you have to say, uh, I think, I think this is, you know, when you when you when you evolve uh, into a bigger and stronger club, um, you do sometimes have to say, uh, you know, this isn't good enough anymore. Um, it's not bad, but it's not good enough. Um, you know, a lot of people will point to Zinchenko and Jesus being let go by city who are now chasing Zinchenko and Jesus in the, in the title league, in the title race and say, well, that's a mistake. Well, you know what though? I think that as an organization, you have to have the ability to, uh, 
select and stick to your principles. And if a player just doesn't make sense for you anymore, he's literally, he literally would not be a starter on this team. He doesn't want to be here and somebody's offering us good money. Why are we keeping him? Because we want to sign, we want to sign and keep all the, all the good players. Like we're not Chelsea. Uh, This isn't how Arsenal do business. Yeah, and I think that uh, leads into a good question there of what is the right amount of depth for a team like Arsenal to be able to to handle? So I know we just kind of talked about how much rotation we plan on doing for the mm-hmm. Europa League. But if this was the Champions League, we probably wouldn't be talking about that much rotation, would we? No, no. Um, you know, I mean, if you if you just look across the league right now, uh, look over to the Champions League where we've got, you know, Chelsea just got past uh, Borussia Dortmund. You got Manchester City. They're they're facing RB Leipzig, and I think you could make an argument that Leipzig are probably one of the easier draws that City could have gotten, and that's by no means an easy draw. Um, the draws will get harder. Uh, Arsenal could get, you know, Bayern Munich uh, in the first knockout round that they are in in the Champions League, and that is not going to be a, a tie where. Uh, Rob Holding is going to play. <laughs> yeah, it's you're, just, you're probably it's just not, not. going to hand a, a debut to a new center back against Bayern Munich. No, not by choice. Uh, I mean Spurs got AC Milan, and and you know both of those clubs are in poor form at the moment. But um, you know that's I mean that's another one where Arsenal wouldn't uh, rotate really at all. And uh, Liverpool, it took me a while to remember they they yeah they got Real Madrid. Madrid. Yep. Uh, so I mean, come on, <laughs> these are these are good clubs. So you. Um, I, th- I thought I was actually really happy to hear Mikel Arteta say this uh, a few days ago where he said, you know, at this club, you have to be able to play every three days. And if you can't um, basically, I think what he paraphrasing, he basically said, like, that's a problem. We need to address that. Um, and I think that's that's really what he's talking about. So what is the right amount of depth to be able to accommodate that? It's not it's not having eight guys for four positions, right? It's having, uh, this is, this is part of the reason why a manager like Arteta chases players who are versatile, mm-hmm. who can play more than one position. Um, this is a, this is a time when you look at like your midfield three of party Xhaka and, uh, Odegaard. And you say, um, I've got a Fabio Vieira who could replace Odegaard in one game. He could replace Xhaka in another game, bring in Declan Rice. He can replace Xhaka in one game. He can replace part party in another game. Uh, you have Leandro Trissard, Gabriel Jesus, Saka, Martinelli, Eddie Nketiah, uh, another attacker, whether that be Reese Nelson or someone else. There are a number of different alignments that you can put those guys out in. You have Ben White, um, who could potentially fill in as a center back. You have Kivior, who's been hypothesized as a potential <laughs> inverted left back. Um, and Tomiyasu, who could play literally any of those positions. So I think it it looks more like it looks more like maybe having like six reliable defenders. Uh, for four spots, having like five for the midfield three and probably having five or six for the attack. So you end up with a, a core group of, you know, instead of 11, um, maybe like 16 guys who yeah. uh, there are a couple guys who are like, there's a, there's a blurred line between who's the starter and who's the backup. Although it's, there still is that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are a couple of other guys who are just like a little bit more sparsely used. Yeah, and that's, and that's what that, I expect. Yeah, I think you know, trying to you know, somewhere between sixteen and eighteen trusted guys is, I think, the the goal. I think so. Before I went and I looked up the last time that Arsenal were in the Champions League, uh, the the heady days of twenty sixteen seventeen, 
Um, the team averaged about three to four changes from the um, the team that played in the Premier League the weekend before, and this was also the time that we always um, had that we had the cup keeper. This was the the Ospina came in and he was given those Champion League matches. So it's really about two to three outfield players that were typically rotated. And mm-hmm. I think that would probably be about the target that, that Arsenal had. If we, when we go into the champions league next year, I think that, yeah, you might see for maybe some of the, you know, the, the group games where maybe it's against a, you know, the, the fourth place team that we expect to, you know, finish fourth place. Maybe there you get, you know, a few more changes or things like that. But right. I think the other thing too, is like the champions league is a prize that people want to play in and you're not going to change you know people are going to be upset if they are rotated out saying sorry no like we need to keep you for the premier league like people and teams right. you know need to understand that yeah no i mean bukaya saka martin odegaard these are not guys who are going to say yeah let fabio <laughs> let reese uh yeah, let him take we're playing. Uh, we're playing. I don't know. Porto. Let those guys go. Get those guys on on Thursday. I I gotta I gotta really save all my energy for Leicester this weekend. Um, that's not that's not going to happen. Um, you know, people. I think people like to criticize Antonio Conte for not rotating at all. Um, but I think that his approach to the Champions League this season is probably pretty similar to what you'll see from Arteta, where there really are not a lot of changes. Um, Arsenal will be a little bit deeper, but you're, I think I think there's going to be more than one occasion during the group stage next season where the same 11 uh, start both on Tuesday and on Saturday or Sunday. Or yes, I would, it would not happens. surprise me yeah, if that happens. I, I mean, I think I would, I would fully expect to, at a minimum, it'd be nine to ten of the same guys that, you know, played to play again. And the other two will come off the bench. Yeah, right. And yeah, I think we'll see some, yeah, a lot of guys getting, you know, maybe we, we split it between, you know, 70 minutes and 20 minutes to, to somebody else or, you know, maybe even closer to like a, a 60-30 kind of split. Um, and I think even that in the Premier League too, right? I think that's where you'll see mm-hmm. some of the rotation is, all right, you know, a guy's going to come in and try to get you the last, you know, 25 minutes of a match to be mm-hmm. able to, to help kind of keep things fresh and keep people engaged, being able to do that. Um, yeah, anything else on, on depth? No, no, I think that um, it's going to be, I mean, we'll talk about this all throughout the spring and into the summer, but it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, we know that the midfield stuff is happening. Um, you know, is there going to be another fullback? Um, and then, and then what, what happens beyond that? Because there's, you know, you could argue that there's actually not a need for another attacker at this point. Um, if everybody's healthy and they decide, you know, let's say Reese Nelson keeps up this form for the rest of the season, has a couple of impactful games in the Europa League, uh, some really good bench cameos in the Premier League. I think, you know, I could see him getting a new contract. And then all of a sudden you've got uh, basically seven attackers who are all, you know, chomping at the bit for for playing time because Balogun is back. Um is ESR an attacker? Uh, you know, so, I mean, I don't think that I, I, that could create a scenario where Arsenal are not outgoing for like Rafa Liao, uh, and people like that. They're like, you know what? We've got Trissard. We're good. Yep. All right. Um, let's wrap things up by doing a quick look at the title race. So <laughs> I, I have not run my numbers to, um, everybody much, uh, uh, I guess, 
consternation online. I've, I've had several people ask. Um, so <laughs> I, I am going to do it tonight. And so we'll have some fresh numbers tomorrow. But um, looking around, it seems like somewhere between 50 and 60% for Arsenal to win the title. Um, I know that feels about right for me. I don't know. Does that kind of match your general intuition right now? Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it's still, you know, 11 games, five point lead. Um, we are now, nobody's got any games in hand. It is a, it is a two team race. Manchester United are not uh, contenders. <laughs> they never point. were. They never, yeah, they never were. Um, they are, they need to keep an eye on fourth place as much as they do on first and second um, because Newcastle have a game in hand on them. If they win, they'll only be three points behind Manchester United. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to look ahead. Um, it's really tempting to to look deep into April and start worrying about the, those games. But you know, I think I think you need to look. If you're Arsenal, you need to look at uh, from right now until about three quarters of the way through April. You've got Palace at home. You've got Leeds at home. You have to go to Anfield, and that's going to be hard. But then you go to West Ham, and then you've got Southampton at home. I, I mean, if you can win four of those games and and draw at Liverpool or, or better, um, that is going to be it's going to be really interesting to see where city are at that point, because they have, they've put out a couple of performances against lesser competition um, that have not looked great. And they've got, you know, they've got Brighton away and they've got Liverpool at home coming up. So um, combined with Pep's need to win the champions league, um, if, if they win this week, they've got two games, they play Leipzig on Tuesday and they play Burnley, I think on Saturday. Um, And in both cases, they would be, uh, going deeper into the cups that they're already in. So um, they're going to have a very jammed schedule. Yes. And uh, for all the for all the consternation about Arsenal's depth, City have their own challenges with depth. Um, you know, I think they've literally got six forwards on their entire team sheet, and one of them is Cole Palmer. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be really challenging for them, and and they could drop some form because of that. So it's you know, every, but every game they win, there's going to be panic amongst Arsenal fans. Every point we drop, there's going to be panic. But uh, five points with 11 games left is pretty good. Pretty good yeah, point so when, of view to be coming from. Yeah, we go into potentially next weekend. Um, well, we 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 play, and you know, City have their FA Cup, so we could be looking at eight points. You know, playing mm-hmm. an extra match, but I think that would help. I think everybody feel a little bit better. So I went and I looked it up here. So Arsenal have the seventh hardest remaining schedule. Um, they have five matches against um, teams that are in the you know the top eight of my ratings. Um, Manchester City have the eighth hardest schedule, so the, the schedules are relatively similar um, mm-hmm. overall. So um, and then they have three matches against the teams in the top eight, so they have a lot more matches against the teams in the middle right now. You know, there's a, a huge messy middle going on. Uh, but yeah. I was looking at their their matches; they're not easy. So they got uh, mm-hmm. a Brighton Brighton away, which I think is going to be very tricky. I have them rated as the the fourth hardest team. Liverpool mm-hmm. at home. I don't know if that. I mean, that's still those are always tough matches there. Um, Liverpool I have is the third hardest team. They have Arsenal obviously at home. Um, that one's going to be interesting because that's going to be a just don't lose kind of situation for Arsenal, where I don't think that they will be in a position where they have to win. Hopefully, knock on wood. Um, and then they have Chelsea at home. Um, so that's uh, tough. And you're just kind of looking through some of the matches they do have. They come up against some really good defensive teams, which kind of, you know, stre- you know makes me kind of think that there might be a draw 
in there potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they got, you know, Brentford um, towards the end of the, uh, the last game of the season. That one is never going to be easy. Um, I think they have a, a West Ham match in there too. Um, and I think David Moyes might be able to, oh, that's their, their match that's going to get postponed and have to be rescheduled for, you know, sometime late in the season. Right. It's not going to be necessarily an easy one. Um, West Ham, I think they're defensively have been quite solid. It's just it's been their attack that's let them down. Um, I don't know. I, I look at this and I think, I don't know. I don't think it's especially hard for either team or it's a neither team has a scheduled advantage, I think, at this point. No, not really. And and, um, you know, I I got into a bit of a discussion on this recently, too, um, where both clubs could be making a late run in a European Cup. Um, But I think, interestingly, you you would very much uh, you would very much rather play. Um, some of the some of the names left in the Europa League. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, I know that Manchester City or sorry, Manchester United and Juventus are still alive, uh, and obviously they're the ones that you probably don't want to draw in the next round. Assuming that they both get through, might not be so easy for Juventus. They've got to go to Germany, and they're not playing particularly well at the moment. Um, but you know, beyond that, I mean, you could you could also get Feyenoord in the next round. You could get Royal Union Saint Gilois from Belgium. You could get Ferenc Varos or Bayer Leverkusen or somebody like that. You could get Sevilla. It was a crap- Happy team. Yeah, Sevilla are just, they're not good. As I keep saying, hashtag Sevilla are not good. Um, but uh, Manchester City, I mean, at this point, you would look at and say, what would be their easiest draw? I mean, maybe AC Milan um, or Chelsea. So yeah. it's, those are probably the two worst teams left uh, out of the, I think, Technically speaking, they're only seven. I, I think uh, Benfica is also there. Um, there, they wouldn't scare me too much compared to some of the other teams. But yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. I'm, Benfica, they had an easy time with Club Bruges, but they and they are leading in Portugal. But they are still, I mean, it's still a Portuguese side, so you wouldn't you wouldn't fancy them to beat Manchester City anyway. Yeah, no, but I think yeah, it's uh, Chelsea, Milan, Benfica. Um, other than that, right? You got a, a Napoli team that's flying high. Um, mm-hmm. Real Madrid that just have like devil magic in the Champions League, um, and then Bayern, Bayern. Munich and yeah, Inter. Yeah. Well, Inter Inter plays Porto, but they've got yeah. um, Inter look the yeah, in a good spot. Yeah, so yeah, it'll be yeah. I wouldn't yeah favor um, playing any. Actually, I I look forward to playing those teams next year. Um, I think that those are names that I think fun. everybody would be excited to to go up against. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we agree then that um, as you look at it from a scheduling perspective, you know, occasionally you see a post that's like, Oh, Arsenal have this, this really tough run in late April, early May. And yes, I mean, it's going to be tough to go to Anfield and go to St. James park, but um, you know, your numbers back it up and, and kind of my gut feeling backs it up that neither club has a really big advantage. If we were talking about Arsenal going to St. James park and Anfield versus, you know, Manchester city, having to go to the city ground and, and whatever Bournemouth call their stadium, I forget. Um, you'd feel a little bit worse about that, but they, I mean, they're the Vitality they're going Stadium. To, there you go. Thank you, Scott. Um, so it's 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 very fine margins. Yeah, I think that's uh, about right. I think it, we're it's better than a coin flip, but it's still right on the the knife's edge. Um, or I think that my my whole spot like on this run that Arsenal had is that I thought that they could lose the title here but I don't think they were ever going to win it with these runs of matches this was a, a perfect spot for Arsenal to pick up the needed points that they needed for the points accumulation and so far it's mm-hmm. been pretty mission accomplished um I think we have two more really good ones um before we go to Anfield the, to pick up some more points so I think we're we're in really good shape um and hopefully we'll be talking next week 
with a, another win and uh, an enjoyable time going into the international break, which I, I still can't believe they have one right now. It feels like we have so Maybe. many of these breaks. Yeah, and the World Cup just happened, but you know, here we are again, another international break, and uh, we'll be bored for like a week and a half. All right, Adam, it was uh, wonderful to to talk to you again. Um, if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a rating and a review. I've, I've been told that those are always helpful for being able to have more people be able to see our stuff, to stay up to, to dates with all the stuff that we're writing. You all, I mean, you probably already do subscribe, but you should subscribe to Canon Stats. Um, consider becoming a premium subscriber to help us su- support and do more things like that. Um, Adam, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye, guys.